0: Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast where we talk to the world's most creative people. I am your faithful, trusty, loyal, relentless, tireless host, Sourdough, coming at you from Crew West Studio in Los Angeles. Man, do we have a great show for you today. We are talking to one of our 2022 grant winners, the one and only Joan Cox of Baltimore, Maryland. And Joan and I have a great conversation. And I think you're going to love it. So stay tuned. It's coming up. Before we get into it, I want to thank you for tuning in. We do this for you. It's all about you. So thanks for being here. Of course, as always, please share, like, and comment this episode. It helps us. And of course, visit our website where we're always posting and publishing and promoting amazing, healthy, good stuff for you. So please go check it out. Okay. This episode's all about our grant. Actually, it's all about one of our grant winners, Joan Cox. Who is a fantastic human, as all of our grant winners are. But in case you don't know, and if you don't know, shame on you, because after all these years together, you should know this. But maybe, hey, maybe we have new listeners who don't know. But we have a grant, an artist grant, the Not Real Art Grant for Artists. We're in our fourth year on that. Joan Cox is part of our alumni now in our fourth year here. We have started as an annual grant. We're now going to be biannual. So our next grant will be in. 2024 although we'll be opening up application process uh, here shortly so stay tuned for that but our winners for 2022 of which there are 6 we award $2000 to six artists so it's a $12000 grant do the math is the math right 2000 6 12000 yes that is correct woohoo i got some math right yeah so We give a $2,000 grant to six different artists, as well as a lot of PR publicity love, promoting them on our blog and having them on the podcast and really just trying to help them amplify their stories, boosting them up, lifting them up, helping them gain more exposure because that's what artists need. Artists need exposure. And so, yes, the $2,000 is nice, but the exposure hopefully is worth, well, I know it's worth thousands more. So we are trying to share and show the love to our grant winners, of which we have, I think, 30 now is our alumni class over the last uh, several years. So it's very exciting, amazing people. In fact, we're actually going to be publishing a book fairly soon about some of our grant winners who live here in L.A. So stay tuned for that as well. But today, today we have Joan Cox and Joan. I just love talking to her. She's based in Baltimore, has lived in New Orleans for a while, bounced around for a while. She has her, I believe she has her MFA from the Massachusetts College of Art, which is amazing. She, uh, I think, supports her art career with a career in commercial art as a graphic designer. So she's, yeah, she's a painter in terms of her fine art making, but she's also a photographer and a graphic designer and a writer. So a real multidisciplinary talent here and wicked smart. I loved talking to her. Joan. I love her East Coast no-nonsense sensibility, which I appreciate as a Midwesterner myself. So we had fun chopping it up. And so without further ado, let's get into this because I know you're tired of hearing me. That I'm tired of hearing me. So let's get into the here from the one and only Joan Cox, our 2022 Not Real Art grant winner. Here we go. Joan Cox, welcome to Not Real Art.
1: Hey, thanks, Scott. Or sourdough, (laughs) I should say.
0: (laughs) Well, and by the way, I could have referred to you as Joan Cox, the artist and our 2022 winner of the Not Real Art grant. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. I'm so excited about this.
0: (laughs) Where were you when you got the call that day?
1: Oh, you know what? The call came in on like a Saturday afternoon, and I'm not much of a voicemailer. I didn't check it until like Monday. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe it was Halloween-ish, Halloween time. I was, yeah, busy with our nine-year-old or something making a costume or, yeah, but then when I listened to it Monday morning, I think I was driving into my day job, you know, mm-hmm. as they say, mm-hmm. and I was like, what? I got a grant that I applied for? No. Awesome. <laughs> Really like, made my day. I don't in even my remember
0: applying for that <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, I did because you asked some good questions. You know, oh, about, you
0: did. You liked the questions. Yeah, eh? yeah what the did you questions like about. about
1: well, you know, like, have you ever felt like you weren't considered, or what's your place in the art world, or yeah. have you been overlooked, or had a hard time climbing up this mystery mountain with no trail markers?
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I have. thank you for that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's interesting because over the years our name, not art. it's really been interesting to observe people's reaction to it. Because 99% of the time, artists get the joke immediately. And it is the very serious art gallerist, uh, patron, maybe dealer, who just does not get it at all.
1: (laughs) Right, right. And neighbors, too. My neighbor is on my gallery's mailing list because they like to go to the gallery and lots of things but she's like i saw you got a grant but i i don't understand what what does not real art mean what is that, how does that even make sense so yeah for the everyday person too it's confusing but the artists yeah we get it
0: yes 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 uh, it, it, we do get it it's that struggle well that's really cool and in the grant as you know it, while it's nice to receive a, a grant a modest, it's a modest number but we try to put the sugar coating candy coating on it with the PR and the marketing and in the love, helping to promote, helping to amplify, you know, each winner's story and their, and their artwork. And so we, we love to have you and the other winners come on the show. I'm sort of in the mix now recording uh, interviews with the other winners getting to know. And what's been cool with the 2022 class is that only one of the winners is in LA. I mean, they're sort of spread out. We have a diaspora of winners across the country, which is phenomenal. And you're in Baltimore, yeah?
1: Yep. Baltimore, Maryland. And I noticed too, that they're all women. Winners. They're
0: all women.
1: I kind of love that. I'm yeah, just saying. No, no,
0: absolutely. <laughs> and that was that was absolutely such a, a serendipitous delight. And one of the things that's been fascinating to observe over the years. You know, we've been doing this grant, what, four years now? And it's been interesting because any, anything we do, obviously, it has to come up from a place of truth and a place of honesty in terms of just who we are, what have you. And we're, we don't have to try to be diverse or inclusive or whatever because that, that's just who we are. And so it's just from day one, and it's been interesting because we've had a lot of winners – this was our first year where all women won, but most of the the years we've had a very diverse group of winners, people of color, etc. And one woman, a Latina woman, told me a couple years ago. She said, "Yeah, I heard about your grant. I was sure I was not going to apply because." I always check out these things and it's always just a bunch of white people. And I, mm. I went on there and I saw that who your winners are, what you do, I was like, wow, this, these guys are diverse. So, and she applied and she won, you know?
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, yeah. your jury system, do you look at who the artists are or do you just look at the work and then read the answers to those? Right, sort of so, so we, we lead asked. with the
0: work, we lead with the work. It's all about selecting those works that resonate With the judges based on their expertise based on maybe a little bit of criteria in terms of just technical skill conceptual skill that kind of thing and then it's only later on that we start to read the applications and kind of get a sense of who these folks are and so anyway this year was a little bit challenging because we made some changes technically on the back end And it made the judging process well, I think I even had to extend the deadline and everything, you might remember because I saw an
1: email about that, right?
0: Yeah, because it just we were having some tech problems. It was very frustrating. So we're gonna have to make some adjustments on that. But hey, it doesn't matter to you, you won.
1: (laughs) No, no. I'm I'm sitting pretty. I love it. Listen, it covered my studio rent for the year and it's actually been a really great year for me, or twenty twenty two was. Twenty twenty three is just getting started, but I ended up in 15 different group shows across the country, eight different Amazing. states. And you know how much it costs to ship art? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Thank you. Brutal. But yes, yeah. shipping art across the country and or sending it rolled up and hiring a local art company Planner. or team to yeah. restretch it, deliver yeah. it for you. Right. Yeah. So right. that really helped me out with covering, just covering the cost of being an artist.
0: Yeah. And, 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 sorry, and there's so many that, there's so many costs. Yeah, we had a gallery for 10 years. And after 10 years, we decided that we want to be in the art business and we want to be in the business of helping artists. But we absolutely don't want to be in the business of touching, handling, hanging, framing, shipping art ever again.
1: <laughs> I don't blame you. I had my own gallery for a short time in New Orleans. And yeah, that was the hardest part. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> um, well, congratulations. So 2022 the a banner year. you were in so many shows around the country. Obviously, we're just getting started in a new year. Lots of hope, lots of exciting things ahead, lots of challenging things ahead. Obviously, the, it's not all good, as they say. And so well, we have to err on the side of, of hope and optimism, but take action and, and fight for justice. I'm bullish. I try to be bullish. How are you feeling about the new year?
1: Well, I'm feeling Good. For me, in the art world, I've got to make some more paintings. And so for that, I need to carve out a lot more time. But no, I'm feeling good. Like, uh, we've been living here in Baltimore like the pandemic's done. I mean, I know it's not really done, but we've been living life as if it is. But kind of with fresh eyes on Mm -hmm. what's important in life. And we're reevaluating between the new year and this coming out of this pandemic and, I don't know, cancel culture and the Great Resignation. Like, okay. What's really important? Where can I really spend all my time? Can I Mm -hmm. carve it out differently and Mm -hmm. worry less about money and worry more about what I'm doing each day with my kid, my family, my art, my creativity, and thinking like five years down the road, 10 years down the road. And it's hard when you're younger, everyone tells you think five, 10 years down the road, but you really, you can only manage to think a month or two or maybe a year ahead. Right. But I think it's, it's finally sinking in. This time last year, I just started applying, 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 applying. I had free time, just applying to everything. And I'm no joke, every single show that I applied for, I got at least one painting in, maybe two. And by the end of the year, like three. You know, usually these slide applications. I call them slide, from the old days, slide applications. <laughs> you me <mean> both. <laughs> I did used to have to label those little tiny slides and mail them off. It was terrible. Oh, hey, I got, my start oh, as a no. gra-
0: I got my start as a graphic designer in Chicago working in the ad biz and i'd have to go drop my portfolio off for review yep. at various <laughs>
1: paper portfolio. Hey, that's what i do for a day job. I'm a yeah, graphic designer. I mean, selling the paintings it happens now and then. I sold a few this year, but the graphic yeah. design pays the mortgage.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's amazing. So what do you what would you say connects and resonates with people around your work? I mean, you're you're getting accepted into these shows just the the, the batting average you have would imply that there's something, and I love your work, obviously, we love your work, but how, in your own words, what do you think people are reacting to and, and what's resonating with them and why and how are they connecting with, with your work?
1: It's interesting you ask that because, you know, I've been painting for 25 years and I've entered a thousand things and usually get rejected, 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 or I've had some success locally, that sort of thing. But honestly, I feel like what I've been painting and working on, which are kind of intimate portraits of women couples, lesbian couples, narrative portraits, but they're bursting with color and a real painterly hand. But I feel like what's happening is our culture is catching up to what I've already been doing. Like figurative art is now a hot ticket item. You know, Mm -hmm. we have Amy Sherald, who's a fellow Baltimorean and friend of mine, just on top of the world right now with her paintings. Kahindi Wiley, Mm -hmm. just all sorts of actually African-American artists who are painting figuratively and they're speaking their truth by putting themselves and their culture onto the canvas to get Mm -hmm. like, okay, I want to get on the wall in the museum, not just some corner gallery or graffiti alley. Mm -hmm. I want to put my culture out and be seen, see and be seen. And I'm, I'm doing the same. I feel I'm doing the same thing. And I look to people of color and artists of color who are really doing beautiful things with figurative work. To be inspired by them and doing the same with queer work, right? Mm -hmm. Trying to put that painting out there, that image, that narrative that we're just the same as every other couple in a way, but you walk into a museum and you see thousands of years of history of Western art with, if you see two or three women together, they're just to be viewed by men. You know, They're dancing naked in a circle with Matisse, or they're sitting naked on a lawn, or they're pretending to be some historical, mythical creatures rather than their authentic self. So I'm putting women out there in our intimate relationships, and they're not overly sexualized images. It's like intimate, quiet moments at home, maybe intimate moments in public, very symbolic work. And I think that the culture right now of, well, in some ways, a lot more LGBT acceptance, right? We could get married. We could do a lot more things than we could 20 years ago when I was younger. But at the same time, there's a lot of hate out there. So either way, I think it's like a crescendo, a wave, where what I'm painting and what people are interested in are kind of all coming together at once. Mm-hmm. And so finally, my work's like getting picked up, like, oh, look at that. Oh, that's timely topic. Oh, or there are a lot of curated shows this past year and coming up, too, that are more interested in women's voice, feminist perspective, queer perspective... And certainly, figurative work—that 20 years ago, figurative work was, eh, was you know, just kind of coming out of the woodwork. Certainly not popular at all, you know, 50s and 60s, and then working its way slowly back up to popularity. But identity is is just a big topic right now in our culture. Nobody wants a label, but everybody wants a label. <laughs> It kind of kills me. Nobody wants a label. We all want to be the same, equal, 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 but darn it, you better call me an LGBTQ plus IA, you know, whatever. There are too many labels, actually. Polyamorous, this, that.
0: It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Yeah, I was saying to somebody the other day, it's like, wait, will we ever get to a point where we can just call each other humans? Like, I mean, it's fascinating. And culture has caught up. You know, as I was listening to you talk, it sort of was like I was remembering that old- quote about nothing's more powerful than an idea whose time has come. But love is timeless and should be universal and transcendent. And it is. Exactly. And what what I see in your work is such a humanity. I mean, the word that came to mind for me as I've looked at your work is, and I'm listening to you talk, is, is, is you're humanizing people
1: who happen right. to be gay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Thing. Right. Yeah. Right. So if you are in my shoes and you walk into a museum and you see this work, you go, oh my gosh, like it hits you in the heart. Like, oh, that's me. That's my life. That's my experience." And I'm so connected. And if it's not you, if it's the opposite of you, if it's something you don't expect, it's not affronting. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Did I just see what I think I see? Oh, wait, that's not a man and a woman. Oh, but that's a beautiful painting. Well, I wonder if they're sisters. Well, I wonder if that's a mother and daughter. Well, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. And then mm-hmm. you maybe you take some cues or you read the title. Or something, but yeah, it's like any family where you've got a sister, a cousin, an uncle, your own child who is gay or is queer identifying, then that starts to become normalized to you and you accept it and you learn about it. But that's not every single family, not every single person's experience. So I want to put it out there so more people experience that and connect with it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's all so fascinating and interesting. And I you know, I'm a simple, straight white guy. Like, what do I know? But I mean, I one of wanted right. well, hold on. But I mean, like one of the things that I've, you know, and I think it's been core to who I am for all these years. Like, I just I've never questioned love. I mean, OK, you love who you love. Like, like, what the fuck? Like, why is that an issue? I just don't understand it. It just does not. I don't you know, I don't get it.
1: I don't get it either. And it's so obvious that it's not obvious. Like, I didn't paint this 20 years ago, right? Mm. Because I was in the closet even though it was so obvious, I should just, I had to go to graduate school to figure out that I should just be painting myself and my life (laughs) and my community, right? Before that, I was painting like just models, right? Figures. Mm -hmm. I was actually painting interracial couples because I was like, oh, that's not accepted really. Let me bring some acceptance around that. But I was completely closeted and ignoring myself. And now that I'm doing it, sometimes I sit and think, what am I even doing? It's just like so regular. It's so normal to me to just, mm-hmm. yeah, paint a couple sitting on their sofa. What's so great about that or special about it? But it, it but it is. It's, mm-hmm. it's special because there's not enough of it. And yeah. I try to I pour yeah. a lot of personal symbolism and moments into my work. So if they're fabrics and patterns and colors, it's all thought about and mm-hmm. all considered to kind of weave a complete story about a couple. So in a way, my paintings are universal. You can, as you said, you just universally feel attracted to their humanity and their intimacy. Yeah. But then they're really personal at the same time. So they're portraits because they're personal.
0: My therapist told me, I remember one time he said, we were talking about intimacy and he said, into me, you see.
1: (laughs) I love that. that I never thought about that.
0: Into me, you see. And isn't that a nice notion for the work you make right now?
1: That might have to be the name of my next show.
0: There you go. Go for it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm fifty-two. I'm Gen X. Are you are you
1: I just turned fifty-three? We're, oh, we're Gen insane. X. Yeah. And so
0: I wonder sometimes our generation, I sort of feel like and I you know, obviously I was born and raised outside Chicago, in northwest Indiana, so I'm a Midwesterner. But the point is is that and I loved my generation, my high school class. We had, you know, I mean it was a great time and Working class community, blue collar, whatever. But I always felt like, and I maybe this is my own revisionist history or whatever, biased thinking or whatever. But I would argue that our class, in particular, were incredibly tolerant. Like we just didn't give a fuck. You know what I mean? And there was a practical sensibility. Yes, we gaslit. You know, we teased, we fucked with each other, so to speak. And that was almost like how you show love. Because you get it back and, you know, and and you have to be careful with that because, you know, sometimes people don't appreciate the joke or whatever the case might be. But but it it is interesting to me. Our generation, I feel like, comes from that tradition of sticks and stones will break my bones, but words (laughs) will never hurt me. And yet the focus on words these days, to your point, is just so amplified. And I think it's hurting real dialogue. I think people are scared that they're going to say the wrong thing, use the wrong Mm -hmm. word. And I, I don't know, how do you feel? Cause I mean, you're in it way, way more than I am, but yet the way you've referred to a few things, I, I sort of feel like you have a much more practical point of view on some of these topics.
1: Sure, but well, let, let me answer that first by saying I'm a painter.
0: <laughs> I yeah. avoid
1: words, so yeah, <laughs> so, so I, <laughs> because yeah, I don't want to say the wrong thing either or, or yes, absolutely. So yeah, but that's part of why I'm a painter. I'm just about making images, but locally here in Maryland, I served on the board as president and still work with our local Maryland LGBT Chamber of Commerce. And we are just now, after five years, changing the name to the LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce. And the reason is when we started it in 2017, we had a bunch of people come together like, hey, let's start this thing. And it's part of a national, it's an affiliate of a national LGBT chamber. and. The young people at the table are like, we got to have the Q in there. We got to have the queer. And the older folks at the table were like, no way. I was bullied with that word when I was a kid, chased down the street and written on my locker and everything else. No way I can have that word in there yet. Hmm. Now, just five years later, just like the demand is and the normalization now, or the acceptance and the empowerment of the word queer is so right. much greater, right, right? Taking that word back. So when you talk about language, that, yeah, people who are in their 60s and older very much have a bad taste in their mouth for that word. I think it's fine. And younger yeah. than us, pfft, they embrace it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. I'm remembering there was an interview I, I saw with Dave Chappelle, love him or hate him, and he was talking to the woman who is it? she was the poet who did the poem at Bill Clinton's inauguration. Oh, um, yeah. I'm sorry?
1: Yes, I know. I'm, you know I'm terrible I'm with names. About. I know who you're talking about. She recently and passed
0: away. She passed away totally. a few years ago. Yeah. Just a giant of a woman. I mean, giant like in terms of intellect and, and absolutely. Soul. And and she was a poet. Man, her name. I can't believe I'm not remember her name. Anyway, they were having conversation about the N word, and Chappelle was saying, "You know, we're taking it back. This is how we communicate now." And Her point was, yeah, but your generation wasn't lynched and wasn't chased down the the street. and
1: Right. Maya Angelou. Maya Maya Angelou. Thank you.
0: Yes, of course. Maya
1: Angelou. Right. Exactly. And I have friends and I hear that word. I mean, I haven't spoken that word in, I don't know, 50 years since I heard the word. But I have friends who use it all the time every day, but I can't use it. They can use it. But I don't feel that's the same with queer. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess depending on the context of how you're using it. But I think that one's a little bit still in that gray zone of... That's really
0: interesting. Yeah. I mean, it it totally makes sense. I I hadn't thought of it like that.
1: It's empowered if it's your word and you own it. But if you're on the other side of that, you know, you still better not touch.
0: Well, I think that's proof that we shouldn't be using any of these words.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Just be painters.
0: Let's just be painters. Let's just be human beings. Can't we all just get along? Why can't we all just get along? (laughs) So when did you start painting? How old were you?
1: Oh, I don't know, four, five, six. I mean, it it depends if you count like a crayon or watercolor or I don't know what you count as painting, but yeah, making art from, yeah, as soon as I could.
0: So how old were you when you knew you were an artist and how old were you when you knew you were gay?
1: Okay. So eight or nine, probably when I knew I was an artist at school, people would ask me to draw them Superman or Pac-Man or whatever was the thing, right? And I would just scribble it off and share it out like a talent, you know, it was like, oh, you have this talent. And I think... I didn't come out to the world until I was 25, mm-hmm. but I knew around 15,
0: oh, Okay, yep, around yep. age
1: 15. Yeah, I definitely knew, but I didn't really know anything about the culture. I only knew about gay men and mm-hmm. I really didn't know anything else about anyone else in the whole spectrum of trans, queer, non-binary, all those things. All those things that luckily kids now, at least in, in most places, if they have access to Social media or big cities, or you know, they kind of at least they know all these things. They know all mm-hmm. these terms and words and options, and even gender options now. Like, pff, kind of wish I had that when I was twelve, mm. thirteen, fourteen. Who knows?
0: Growing up is scary enough. Let alone when you feel I don't know, other or, or disconnected. Exactly. I mean, was it other. was it scary? I mean, how scary other. was it? Well, yeah.
1: Well, I grew up at a Catholic situation, Catholic yep. school. Then I went to an all-girls high school and played the part of the good Catholic girl and mm-hmm. <laughs> kept it all to myself. So it was yep. a lot of repression and yep. hiding and double life kind of for like 10 years, basically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. living a double life at school mm-hmm. with my family, with my grandparents, with my coworkers, my boss when I was that age, anything and everyone in life. That water cooler talk—you couldn't really have it correctly or the same. Or I would have literally a beard. I mean, I would invite guys to weddings and as my date and all the things. Yeah. 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 Sad. I wish I could go back and change it.
0: Well, but no, no. But see, this is. But but see, no, no. But see, this this touches on something that's been annoying me about so much of some of these current trends is that you can't judge someone's behavior. I don't think. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's reasonable. To judge someone's behavior 30 years ago with the same values, ethics, mores, whatever, of today. Like it was a different time. And yes, okay, if that person was an asshole and they raped someone and they did something horrible, yes, that's fucking horrible. And it was horrible, it's horrible now, it was horrible then. But when you think about language and when you think about behavior, and when you think about maybe how you were acting, like it's a different world now compared totally to totally different years world.
1: Ago. Right. Our culture gives permissions for some things and takes away permissions for other things. And Mm. as culture changes and ebbs and flows, it's like a river you're going down. There's a big obstacle in the way or it's Mm. just wide open and smooth or whatever it is. And I guess that's why the word the mainstream, right? If you're in the mainstream, and you're just a regular Joe, so to speak, and you check all the boxes of, quote, regularness. My favorite phrase when I was a teenager was that I was not normal and you could just call me NN. I'm just not normal. Like in any way, I'm just kind of weird and nerdy and arty and don't like sports, don't drink coffee, don't drink beer. I'm just different. I'm other. I'm I'm different in so many ways. I just tried to claim it in all the ways I could without pointing out the one really big way. Mm -hmm. I kept kind of skirting around that one big way because I wasn't mainstream. I didn't go down that middle of the road. I was like off, you know, investigating little tributaries and where does this little piece take me? kind of doing my own thing while I was pretending to do the same thing everybody else was doing.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It's messy, isn't it? Life, <laughs> you know, yeah, trying to find our way, is. trying to find our rhythm. And that's part of growing up. That's part of what it is. One of the funnier coming out stories I've heard, my friend, good friend, her sister, who I also know, I don't know her super well, but she realized that because they were, you know, they're Catholic and, you know, just the whole thing. Right. But she's just the kind of person, she's like, Fuck it. She's like, I'm just pulling the band aid off. And so at Thanksgiving dinners, she's like, Hey, Dad, Mom, I'm gay. Can you pass the potatoes? <laughs> I love that.
1: <laughs> I love that. Yeah, like, I didn't quite do it wait, that way. Wait.
0: The potatoes, the potatoes. <laughs> wait, wait. What was it before the potatoes? <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. That
1: takes guts. But you know what? The minute after I finally came out, and and then sort of everyone knew. Oh my god! Then I'm just like the biggest rainbow flag waving. Exactly. Yes, I mean I'm the biggest, the loudest, the most kind of like, yeah. Come on, this is amazing. It's amazing to be me. Why not be proud <laughs> of who you are, no matter what? Right. I
0: mean, great. Yeah. Right.
1: And I yeah. love everybody else who's gay. Oh my god! If you're gay, you're queer. You're my family. I love you instantly. There, mm-hmm. I do kind of miss. All the bars are going away and even a bar scene maybe is not the healthiest place to be or go to meet people, but the whole gay bar scene is dying, but it's good and it's bad, right? We always want to be just like everyone else. We want to be able to go everywhere, be accepted. That's great. But we used to have our own space. When you walk in that door, it was like your friends, your family, it was like a high school reunion, but you Mm -hmm. didn't even meet these people before. It didn't matter who they were. They were there. They were your family there was instant love and attraction. It's like an expat, you know, you go right. to Paris or London and you're a writer, you're a painter and all the expats go to the same place and hang out. You had that right. bond, that family connection. And I'm sad for the younger people in that way that they don't really experience that. I don't think, I don't know, I have to ask them, but yeah. <laughs> I don't think they experience that. <laughs> They've got all these other pluses that I didn't have, but a few minuses come along with it.
0: Well, that, that heck, I'm even sad to hear about the gay bar scene. I mean, As a straight guy with gay friends, some of my best times have been in gay bars. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, you know, woo. And, you know, and even many of my straight single friends have met some amazing women in gay bars because, of course, they're with their their gay friends or whatever the case. And boy, do gays know how to party. I love it.
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah.
0: There's a bar here in L.A. called The Abbey that is Notorious. For just being so fun, and straight people love it. <laughs>
1: you know? Nice. Well, take me out there when I come out.
0: Yeah, you we'll got go it. When you coming out? Do we, do we have plans for you to come out yet?
1: I don't think so. I don't know. Okay. I was I was out there one and only time in the middle of the pandemic in the fall. My mom happens to be a couture hat designer. Well, I'm, oh wow, she was. She, cool. she just passed away in December, oh, so it's really I'm still. Sorry. Fresh, thank you, and a little raw. But she's she's a couture hat designer and she was meeting with like this model and social influencer and so she needed me to go out with her and bring all her hats and we were wearing hats on the airplane and yeah, you know, it was <laughs> just you know, she's 81. Right. <laughs> eighty one. She's years old in the middle of the pandemic, flying to LA to kind Amazing. of have an exciting, interesting, yeah, time. Anyway, but I need to come back.
0: Yeah, there you go. So clearly you get some of your creative talent from her. Was your dad creative?
1: He's a woodworker, I'd say. I mean, he ended up being a truck driver for life. But he, yeah, growing up, my mom taught oil painting classes in this big sunroom we had on the second floor. All these ladies Mm -hmm. would be out there with their easels painting still lives and stuff. And uh, he would make uh, wooden bookcases and things like that in the basement and then sell them in the paper on Sundays. Right on. In the classified. So, yeah, definitely got the art talent just handed right down through the family. That way, which is why I knew when I was young, I was like, that's it, I'm going to be an artist, there's no question. I didn't know what kind, like drawing, painting, photography, installation, I don't know, didn't matter, was definitely art, art, art from day one, which is what it takes to sustain 25 years of post-college exhibiting, painting, making, making, continuing to make when you don't make a living off of it.
0: Yeah, making a living as an artist, boy, isn't that an interesting conversation.
1: It's the same as, Rock star, pop stars. What I tell everyone: everyone's like it's a big mystery or a veil. It's it's just the same. I mean, if you're a pop or rock star, you kind of carry your guitar around. You might play on the street, might play in a coffee shop, you might get with a band and just be the backup singer. There's so many ways, but there's no written handbook. This is how you do it. Like if you want to be a lawyer, there's a written handbook. You do a certain amount of time here, then you move to this firm, then you take a case, and you, anyway, there are handbooks for all these other careers in life, but the arts. Not so much. You could be one of these like paint dog portraits and go do the craft shows everywhere and drag your stuff in tents all around town. I could have picked that way. I didn't, there's so many different ways. I didn't want to pick that way, but other people pick that way. They love it. They're being creative all the time.
0: But you also have created a situation for yourself where you're, you have many tools in your toolbox, right? So you can paint and get commissions or not because you have your graphic designer and you can pay your bills doing that as well. And, and it's interesting. I have this joke about you're either a switchblade or you're a Swiss army knife.
1: <laughs> you know? I'm definitely and, a Swiss army knife. I have used that in a bio before. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Myself. yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I'm a Swiss army knife. I am not a switchblade. Sometimes you need a switchblade. <laughs> Sometimes yep, that's exactly and
1: you, what you need. And you phone a friend. And you phone a friend, exactly.
0: You know, and some artists are like that. They're like, nope, this is what I do. And so I'm going to do. It's more of a struggle maybe earning a living because they can't diversify or don't want to diversify. But you've been, you know, I don't know if that was intentional or by accident, but the fact that you've positioned yourself with the diverse set of ability, skills, talents, and tools bodes well for you, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it it lets me reserve the time in the studio to really only focus on what I want to do. I don't really care for commissions. I've done a few... They never come out. They don't have the heart and soul, yeah. the energy, the passion. Right. right. So yeah. I avoid those. So what I paint in the studio is really only what I want to paint, no matter what. Whatever I'm into today, it may or may not fit in a series. It may or may not fit. Some action might happen in the world or in my life, and I go in the studio and just paint a tree instead of yeah. figures. Or, but it's all up to me because I'm not dependent on knocking out a bunch of commissions or, or crafts or... Etsy items or whatever it is. And I'm not putting any of those things down. You can make a great living with all those things. It's just, I can instead, you know, do a little bit of corporate work, which is eh, not as exciting. But from day one, I was like, I don't want to be sucked dry of all my creativity in a hardcore ad agency. So I took the design route of like, okay, corporate or creative entrepreneurial designer where i can be a little creative so i'm always tapping in tapping in color trends composition i'm always staying up luckily for me it's always giving me all the mac computer skills right that are now so amazingly handy mm-hmm. that didn't matter 20 years ago it was like right. oh you know how to use a mac can you do my resume for me, you know, that's what people wanted.
0: But I didn't want to be (laughs) killed
1: like in an ad agency where the creative sucked out of you so hard and you're just working so hard till two in the morning that I wouldn't have any time to paint. So I've always tried to at least walk that balance. It's the most I've been able to come up with and the balance goes up and down week to week, month to month on whether I spend more time on design and more time on painting, but I can tell you, I do want to spend more time painting in 2023
0: are you pretty rigorous about your practice in terms of when you go to the studio or is it more sort of ad hoc whenever you have time or whenever you feel like it, or usually there every Saturday, every Sunday, like how do you structure your practice?
1: That's a good question. Before we had a little girl, it was, yeah, Fridays Mm -hmm. period I only worked a four day work week. I would just be in there always on Fridays and usually Monday nights. So like Monday night, I get started on something Friday, concentrate all day Monday night, pick up where I left off, just enough to thread it through. Like, I feel like if you're continually working on a piece and then starting another piece, don't let the paint brushes dry and don't ever wash them. Don't ever take them out of the turpentine. If they're just always in use, Mm. then it's a good sign. But with a nine-year-old now and through the pandemic and every other thing now, I wish I'd spent more time playing Barbies (laughs) in that (laughs) pandemic and juggling Zoom calls for a kid when other artists out there, if they were unencumbered, were probably creating the best work of their lives. I didn't. I had less time than ever that year to do what I wanted to do. Because,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's so. fascinating to. And that was part of the blessing and curse, right? Of, well, not even blessing, but I mean, the, the pandemic, it just was very uneven. Right. And depending on who you were, what you did for a living. Right. Whether you we had were kids all or nothing. Mind. I mean it was incredibly Yeah, you're either uh, totally alone
1: right or, yeah. or or as I described our whole household, it was like Thanksgiving, Easter and Christmas all happened like three days in a row and every toy, food, package, <laughs> blanket, fort made in the basement with pillows, everything. Happen all at once for an entire year, and it's like, why clean it up? It's just going to happen tomorrow. Legos all over the floor, just exactly. yeah. But then other people were like, "Well, I organized every bit of my junk drawer, my shoe closet, my clothes by color." I'm like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, extremes, extremes." <laughs> when Let's the train- pandemic's over, this. can you come over
0: my house and do all of
1: that? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. It was fascinating to watch. And talk to different artists during that time because, to your point, it felt like some of them were productive and prolific as hell, right? Because they oh, they had I that time, they that. had that. And then other artists really struggled. And and but by the way, maybe they struggled because they were single, and didn't have anybody in their life. But maybe they struggled because they were traumatized by the pandemic and just didn't feel creative, and then they yeah, were blocked. Every,
1: you know? Certainly, every different uh, yeah. thing happened for folks. But yeah, I wish I could have had some of that more quiet time. It was like a, a forced residency at home. If you could do it, but yeah, so it's sporadic. I have to say, it's sporadic. That's all I know. I just get in there when I can get in there.
0: <laughs> That's, right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So your subjects. How do you connect with your subjects? Are they friends? Are they family? Are do yep. you? put out calls for models. Right,
1: calls for models. No, I haven't put out calls for models. And a lot of them, yeah, started out just as my friends. And then I just repeatedly painted this one set of friends, Jane and Autumn. I don't know why they were handy. They had the right look somehow. Like Mm -hmm. Jane's very androgynous. And I love that look. But recently, I'm like, no, I'll just meet people at parties or at a cafe. I just stopped somebody last month at a coffee shop, just like tapped her on the shoulder and said, if if you don't mind, I think you look pretty amazing. And I'm an artist. And would you come model for me and bring a friend, same gender or pseudo same gender friend, and just come and, and model for me. So I've had some people just show up in the studio or also some outdoor scenes where I've met people at a park. And then I've never seen them again. Really? Yeah. So, yeah, these two. Sort of like a one-night stand or something. Kind of. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. These two, I met them at an event in the morning that a mutual friend was having. So I was, I'm trying to open up my work to be more inclusive mm-hmm. and not, not just show me, literally me, because I started out me and my wife and then some other couples of mine who were all happen to be Caucasian. And I'm like, I really want you know an interracial lesbian couple. Mm-hmm. So I was at this event. Here's this very cute couple. Like, oh my gosh, can you model for me? They showed up in my studio that afternoon. I had them rolling around on the hardwood floor. bang bang, boom. I kind of already had a composition in mind and started. And so, yeah, I put them in that painting and I hung it in a show a couple months ago. Show just ended on Saturday. And they didn't come to the opening. They couldn't get to the reception. I texted them. And then eventually they came and texted me like, oh, we saw the painting. We love it. It's so great. It's awesome. But I have literally never seen them again. And same with another couple that I met in the park. And I just, yeah, I photographed them all over the park and made some paintings, and haven't seen them again.
0: <laughs> no, no, that's really fascinating to me. And you know, I joked about the one night stand because you can have that very intimate moment or hours or whatever, and then go separate ways and never, you know. And I guess it's
1: well, you can open up. And I told them to modeling. Like, yeah. Normally, I like to say, hey do you want a cocktail? Like, let's do, I need to loosen you up here. Right. Like, right. I want to find your true selves. But at the same time, I didn't know these people. They didn't know me. Right. So it's almost easier than if you know someone a little, then you have expectations or you don't want to share a certain thing or you don't want to be perceived a certain way. I'm a stranger to them. They're a stranger to me. Yeah. And what I want is to capture them, the two of them. Right. And I do only really want to work with models who are a true couple. They're a couple together because those things are going to come out. So this couple, what they said to me, Molly and Brianna, after they got to see the work in the gallery, when I wasn't there, that they were just like, I don't know how you captured our joy, our love for each other. How did you capture that? Like you met us one time and you've captured it and we are beyond thrilled. Now it's not their painting or anything, you know, it's in my painting, it's not a commission, but they're beyond thrilled. And they're like, well, could we just have a print on our wall or, you know, a magnet or anything? <laughs> I'm like, Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, right, once it gets right. photographed, you can, you can have whatever you want. It's One of those worlds where you can order it on a blanket, a puzzle, a mug. Shower
0: curtains, blankets. Yeah, anything you want. (laughs) By the way, that'd that'd be kind of a funny thank you gift. That would be actually kind of a funny thank you gift to thank your models. Like you just get all this merch produced, keychains, coffee mugs, and you send them a care package.
1: (laughs) There you go. Thanks for your time. Here's your merch. Shower curtain. (laughs) Shower curtain. I love that idea. That's a good one. It's amazing
0: what we're printing on these days. I mean, you know, being a commercial artist, graphic designer or through the years, you know, we're yeah, of the same I wanna, age. I just I mean, want to do that. To think about the how the technology has evolved. I mean, my God, it, it's, it's incredible what we're doing on demand.
1: Yeah, it really is. And the thing is in the art world though, it's like, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Don't make prints. Don't quote, water down your work. And I don't know. I really struggle with that one. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm never going to make prints of any of my work. And now I'm like, I totally want to just yeah put it on every merch there is. I mean, Kahindi Wiley now is like making soccer balls with his art on a soccer ball.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, I don't know if he's doing it, but his gallery in France is hiring some company yeah. somewhere in China to produce his paintings. It's a we, we all go to museums. Yeah, yeah, we all go to museums and buy, yeah. you know, Van Gogh's yeah. on everything everywhere, yeah. mouse pads.
0: Well, that's yeah, no the the product is the disconnect. Is, yeah.
1: There's a big disconnect, though. Depending again. I mentioned earlier, which little lane of the art world you're in. If you're in that craft show weekend thing, if you're in a local scene, if you're in the big Art Miami and Basel and Venice Biennale, there's this, oh, no, 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 don't, yeah. Don't put your work on those things. But I mean, Warhol put his work everywhere on everything. Basquiat put it right on the streets. So I just want the work to be seen in the the end.
0: I think that whole notion is very wrongheaded. I mean, because for several reasons, one of the reasons, of course, is every freaking museum I've ever been in has a gift shop.
1: Right, be selling your out own the lore. gift
0: shop. You know, <laughs> right. be your right. but own. But then people gift look shop. at you
1: like, "Oh, you're a pushy merchandising." Ugh, it's there's a thing. I need a middle man or woman. I mean, I need a middle someone <laughs> right. to pawn those items. That's not me pawning those items. It looks better.
0: Yeah, I mean, a- another reason I I think that notion is really wrongheaded is because. Not everybody can afford your original work, $2,000, $5,000, $10,000, whatever it is. But they can buy a blanket or a a T-shirt or a thing that connects them to your work and gives them an access point. And I think that that's about democratization. That's about accessibility. And they're able to connect with you in an affordable way. You make them happy. You make some money on top of it, I think it's wrongheaded to sort of be so like elitist, purist, conservative about the fact that merchandising yeah, so is below too. you. You know,
1: I think so too. When I get off this podcast, I think I'll take out <laughs> a couple of <laughs> no. Instagram posts and ads. No,
0: but um, no, it's, uh, it's 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 funny. I mean, a lot a lot of you might know this because you're a graphic designer, sort of in an advertising world. But Harley Davidson famously makes more money from all of their merchandising than selling their motorcycles because not wow. everybody can afford a motorcycle, right? Right. Yeah, it's a lifestyle, right. right? So people want to connect to the brand. They want to connect to the lifestyle. So they get the Harley jacket or the Harley wallet or the Harley belt right. or the you know, why right. can't they have the Joan Cox blanket to get warm in?
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, warm right. Or or know. nice print on the wall. I mean yeah, go print. back and the prints. Nice print important. on really yes. nice archival paper. Yes. Right. Yes. No, yes. it's true. Yes. So yes.
0: And by the way, if you ever are interested in in connecting with a printer, obviously there are amazing ones out there, but there's a couple out here that I'd be happy to introduce you to. A friend of mine has a company called Sugar Press Art, and they do interesting things with sustainable inks and papers, papers made out of sugar and mm. things like this. Mm, yeah, um, I was
1: wondering about that name. That sounds a lovely name, Sugar yeah, Press
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, Ann Martin, my friend who runs it, she's amazing. Anyway. Shameless plug for my friend. (laughs)
1: Yeah, (laughs) I'll look her up.
0: Excellent, excellent. So, you know, somebody once told me that going to art school taught them how to see. What did art school teach you?
1: Hmm. Art school taught me that I'm an artist no matter what I'm doing. So it's kind of hard to be an artist when you're running your day job, when you're taking your kid to school and sitting on a playground somewhere, or you get down on yourself like I'm not a real artist. This is really one of the, the way I answered your question am I a real artist if I'm only making art in the studio one day a week or if I'm in only selling one painting a year or whatever it is, whatever kind of line in the sand you draw for yourself that if you cross that line, you're finally an artist. No, you're an artist all the time. Every day you're an artist when you're cooking dinner. You're an artist when you're wrapping a gift for a friend. You're an artist when you're Taking notes, making sketches, doing your art, making your art, but everything that you take in visually when you're at the movies, when you go to the theater, when you're listening to music, all those things are coming in and filtering out. And when you finally get that time to produce or create that more tangible thing that we label art, you're going to do it in your way because of all those things that came in, right? So you're an artist all the time and just own it and wear it and don't let anyone tell you that you're not a real artist because you are. That's really the best thing that I learned outside of, you know, seeing and meeting some cool people and cool artists and learning about some cool artists that I didn't know about. That's the biggest.
0: It's a fascinating conversation for me because I have people come up to me all the time and say, well, you're an artist, aren't you? Or are you an artist? And, and I always, it's, it's like one of those weird questions, right? Because in my heart, yes, I'm an artist, but I don't paint, I don't draw, I don't sculpt, I don't do any of that stuff. I just literally have always, and I mean this sincerely, I've always sort of looked at my life as my masterpiece that I'm working on, mm-hmm. right? And Great. the choices that I make, the decisions to do this versus that really was about following my inner muse. And so it, it just is, it's about, I guess, intentionality or just, you know, I, you know, I don't know, but it's like, but I'm very, I'm very cautious. Like, it's not like I'm out and proud of like, oh, I'm an artist, I'm an artist. My joke being, would a wise man call himself wise? If he does, don't trust him.
1: Right. Well, it's like you're a producer or director. I mean, you're not the actor in the movie, but you're doing all these other things. You're supporting artists, you're encouraging artists. And like you said, you, you've built your own life with an artistic eye in terms of what you're choosing to do and how. So I don't know. That is a hard question.
0: It's an interesting question because, well, because here's the thing, right? I don't know if you've ever read the the book and I'm always referencing this book. I know our listeners are sick of me talking about it, but there's a book called Orbiting the Giant Hairball.
1: Yes, I have it.
0: You have it. I I have it. I
1: I could probably even put my hands on it somewhere here, right on this big bookshelf that's by me. Am I really? It's a a blue cover with a a little scribble drawing. Yes,
0: yes. yes. Gordon McKenzie. He was the chief creative officer at Hallmark Cards. Uh, He's not with us anymore, but what a wonderful book. Then you would remember him talking about how when he would go talk to school kids, he would always start his talks by asking the exact same question, which is who here is an artist. And in kindergarten, every kid raises their hand.
1: Every time I've been in my kid's classroom. Yeah. And I'll ask them when I'm done presenting who here wants to be an artist when they grow up and really nearly every kid's hand goes up.
0: Absolutely. And by third grade in his book, he talks about like there's one kid in the back that sort of sheepishly, (laughs) you know, raises their hand and it's like, what the hell are we doing? And so I just bring that up because yes, we all are artists on some level. We believe it. We feel it. We know it when we're young babes and the system does its best to sort of shape us into their own image or you know, whatever. And so it's all in there, right? The desire, need, want to express oneself creatively and make weird shit that, you know, whatever. Right. So yeah, it is a fascinating, and I just feel like, because there's so much talk, right, about democratizing art and increasing accessibility and it's a big, interesting, complicated conversation, but part of the solution and part of the answer and all that, my humble view is we have to start creating a narrative or creating a conversation around the fact that, yes, you are an artist. It's in there. Just have some courage, take a risk, exercise that muscle.
1: Right. Don't let anyone tell you you're not. Because really, it's, if someone's not telling you you're not, you're probably the one telling you you're not. Like. So quit all of that negative and -hmm. just believe, you know, I feel like people who are creative in any way, whether you're a chef, a cook, a gardener, if you're creative, you're just so much happier on so many more levels. Like when I'm in the studio, it just, I don't know, it just kind of touches all these brain waves and all, just all these ways just makes me feel good, really good. And I feel like people who don't create anything at all in their lives are, are the ones who are a little bit lost. And I'm not talking all just about art. I mean, like I said, it could be right. the creation of your own kid and just the thriving, pouring all of yourself into making that kid, or that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, being a parent is one of the <laughs> biggest expressions of creativity that you <laughs> that you have, right?
1: So huge, so huge.
0: Absolutely huge, and you know, and it's like whether it's your dad who's a woodworker or somebody who loves to cook or garden. I mean, those are huge creative expressions. A lot like painting, right? I mean, cooking, gardening, woodworking, it is a meditation. If you're forced to come into the present moment, you are probably feeling more alive.
1: Right. It's so fulfilling. Or maybe you're a coder, you know, and you get your head in this deep coding and you create some game or some, some other thing. It doesn't have to be the traditional ideas of creation to be so fulfilled by creativity. I just, I wish it for everyone. Everyone should find something to create.
0: Joan Cox, that is a beautiful place to wrap up tonight. Like, that is a fantastic notion to end with. I'm so grateful for that. Wow, you stuck the landing. You stuck <laughs> okay, the landing. Well, thank you. <laughs> <fact>. <laughs> and
1: I, I did not prep, practice, make a single note. <laughs> I didn't know where this would go.
0: Yeah, I know we could go on and on, and I would love to go on and on, but out of respect for your busy schedule, and it's late there now, and it's getting yep. late here. I'm so grateful we had this hour. More to come. You are now, like it or not, for better or worse, you're part of the not Real Art family. And I love that. you're gonna have, you're gonna have a hard time getting rid of us and getting rid of me. You'll be sick of me in no time. When my wife says, I'm sick of you, but I love you.
1: <laughs> well, aren't we all in that position. Well those of us <laughs> yeah. who are together with someone, yeah, I've been with my wife for twenty one years. And right yeah, on. we feel the same, you know. Yeah, we've been it's, together uh, twenty it's true love.
0: when I well, we started dating and we met, and started dating in nineteen ninety nine. So what is that? Twenty three years, give or take. So yep. Yep. yeah, it's like we're ride or dies. I mean, for better and worse. That's well, awesome. Well, I want to be part what, of this you,
1: family. I want to meet the rest. I want to meet the past winners. I know you mentioned in one of your emails or something like, hey, now that you kind of have a little bit more of a sizable group, let's make things happen in the group.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, they, we're always thinking about that and plotting and planning. I mean. It's no surprise we're a lean mean organization that we try to do a lot with a little so time and treasure are our only constraints. Oh by the way that's you know always the case isn't it? But we're forging ahead. We have a lot of exciting things ahead of us and for the grant winners specifically and I'm just you know I pinch myself sometimes cuz so I feel like I have the best job in the world to be able to sit down with a, amazing human beings like you and call you our friend, our family, our colleagues and you have a friend now in LA so we got to figure out how to get out here and get you out here and and I'll be back east so you'll you'll it's Oh gosh,
1: yeah. Tell me anytime you're in New York or DC. Yeah.
0: Sounds good. Let's get
1: together. You can come by the studio if you're making any personal studio visits. Got a nice big warehouse with actually a lot of other pretty great Baltimore artists in it.
0: Very interesting. Yeah, see that's one of the things that I'm excited about which is to say how not rewarded and Specifically, not real but even Cruess, how we grow outside of LA in an organic way, right? In the fact that now we have a friend in Baltimore who has right. their hand. I can give in, you a personal uh, studio
1: tour to a lot of cool right. places, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, that'd be great. We, you know, we do. I don't know if you get to Asheville, North Carolina uh, at all, it's but it's been on my
1: list for a long time. I have well, let been me there.
0: know when you decide to go and want to go because. We do business there and we have some great friends there in the scene there. And we, you know, I try to get there at least once a year. And so, yeah, so just let me know because, but anyway, so yeah, Baltimore and I love the secondary and tertiary markets. I mean, fuck New York, fuck Chicago, fuck my, I mean, I love them all, but you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, yeah.
1: but we're gritty here in Baltimore. We're authentic. We are. Yeah. We are not shy.
0: I love it. That's what I resonate with. Don't, don't be precious with me. I don't, you know, like I've seen too much. (laughs) I've done too much. I don't, I don't have time for that shit, you know?
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs) Which is why it's not real art after all. Joan Cox, thank you so much. You have a beautiful evening, my friend, and congratulations on everything. Godspeed, be well, and let's talk again real soon.
1: Real soon. All right. Thank you. Have a great night. All right. You too. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to the Not Real Art podcast. Please make sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. Also, remember to subscribe so you get all of our new episodes. Not Real Art is produced by Crew West Studios in Los Angeles. Our theme music was created by Ricky Pajot and Desi DeLauro from the band Parlor Social. Not Real Art is created by We Edit Podcast and hosted by Captivate. Thanks again for listening to Not Real Art. We'll be back soon with another inspiring episode celebrating creative culture and the artists who make it.